If I were to mention the word discipline, what would you guys, uh, like, what's the first thing that comes to mind, Steve, when I say discipline? Discipline, uh, keeping kids straight. Okay, keeping kids straight. I was thinking Roger would probably say the same thing. Roger, what you, when you think of discipline, what do you think of? My first, very first thought was discipline was my father used to spank me. Okay, spanking, right, right. Keeping kids straight is spanking. And you know what? People like us, that is the first thing we think of when we think of the word discipline, and rightly so. But there's other connotations to discipline. Anybody, what else do you think of when you think of discipline? Yeah, Joan? Commitment to a schedule. Okay, commitment to, oh, a schedule. What's that? <laughs> Is that something from people up north bring down to here? No, I'm messing with you. But yeah, commitment to a schedule, right? Or commitment to, uh, uh, how about Tom, in music, is there any discipline? Is it even called a discipline? What about a lack of? Oh, a lack of discipline. That's what you're working on in sort of semi-retirement here? Yeah. All right, good. What else do you think of when you think of discipline? Yeah, Ann? Control. Control. Okay, controlling, yeah, disciplining yourself to control yourself. And so on. How about anyone else? Another word for, yeah, Camille? What's it? Focus, okay? Disciplining yourself. So there's a lot of connotations of discipline, and each of us have different ones, but hopefully from Scripture today, we'll be able to encompass all of these into our lives. And so the, per, the point of all of this today, out of Hebrews um, chapter 12, is that disciples need discipline, okay? Did you even get that, that in the Word? How many of y'all are disciples? Disciples of Christ. Anybody here a disciple of Christ? All right. And so what did what word do you see in there in that word disciple? Discipline. Without discipline, you are not a disciple. In the pure form of the term, what happened was some great teacher. Now, it wasn't like there was free education to everybody back in that day and all of this. But there would be some great teacher, some great professor, some philosopher, somebody that people wanted to sit under and learn. And what they would have to do is they would have to get invited by that person to become their disciple. And then they would say, all right, I want to be your disciple. And they would agree to it. And when they agreed to it, they would be agreeing to discipline themselves to doing whatever that master or that teacher wanted them to do. And so in essence, that's what it really means to be a disciple of Christ. At some point through his Holy Spirit, he invites us to become his disciple. And there's nobody, the Holy Spirit didn't put a gun to your head, did he? You know, the Holy Spirit, he didn't have electric prod, a shock treatment or anything. He invited you and gave you the desire and ability. And at some point, you accepted the, the privilege of becoming Jesus' disciple. And what that meant, if you surrendered your life, was that, dude, whatever you say, that's what I'm going to do. You die to yourself and you rise and live a new life with him and with his power. And that you have to become a disciple. So are you there yet? Is anybody here there? How many, let me see your hand if you are there. All right, how many of y'all are pretty close? You raise your hand, boy, you just blew it, man. We're not even close. We're in a process. Uh, in theological terms, when we get saved... Uh, the theological term for that is salvation. All right. That's not brain surgery, but it's salvation. The process from the time you're born again to the time that he brings us home while we're here is a process theologically called. Well, what's it called, Seth? Sanctification. Sanctification. OK. And then once we get to heaven, once he takes us home, there is now a new process called glorification where we are just like him. Anybody uh, anybody looking forward to that? Are you look, Gary, are you looking forward to being like him? Amen, Did you mess up even once this week? Dude, you know in heaven we'll never mess up again. I was sitting here singing. I, I don't even try. I'm sitting here singing, man, worshiping. And I see EJ over here like shielding the mic from my voice. I know that's what he's doing, right? No. <laughs> but uh, poor people on Facebook Live are hearing my voice and not y'all. So, but... <clears throat> Man, one day glorification, we're going to be perfect. But right now we're in this process called sanctification. And since we're not there, we need to be disciplined. We need to be discipled. So disciples need discipline to get from where we are when we're born again. Now, positionally speaking, when we get born again, he looks at us as perfect and righteous. But practically speaking, Tina, how's that perfection going? Which, by the way, it's so good to see you guys from Jacksonville. 
But, uh, or I mean from St. Uh, St. Augustine, same difference, right? George, South Georgia, it's all, it's all same up there, right? But how's that perfection going? It, you're positionally perfect. When he looks down on us, he doesn't see our sin. It's covered by the blood of Jesus. But practically speaking, how's that perfection going? <laughs> yeah, and where we're all at. And so it's a process. Sanctification is a process. How many of you have ever got frustrated with yourself because you keep doing the same thing over again? Or you don't do what you want to do? How many of you have ever been frustrated like that? You're in good company. You're with the Apostle Paul. That's what he said. I do what I don't want to do and I don't do it. And he did himself like that. In the Greek, you can see it in the tense. He's like, ah! And some people, if you can believe it, want to quit. Anybody ever felt like you wanted to quit because you just keep messing up? I hope not, but we all get there. And good news, if you're a believer, you can't quit. You can't. You can say, I'm quitting. You can try to stop, but guess what? The Holy Spirit's going to lift you up, and you just can't stop heading towards Christ. So disciples need discipline. I want to show you a couple of verses. We're actually in Hebrews, but I want to show you where this really is. You've seen these verses crocheted on pillows and put on people's walls out of context. But look at this. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and 29, which is really a theme verse for driftwood, and I'll explain why. It says, we as believers know. We don't speculate. We don't hope. We know for sure that those who love God, uh, for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. How many of y'all know that verse? Okay. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Uh, and so here's what it is. Well, everything is good. Everything's good. What happens? Everything's bad in my life. Wait a minute. I got this bad thing, this bad thing. How does this verse work? Well, the good that comes out of this verse and the, the, what the good is that comes out in our life is in verse 29. Look what he says. For those whom he foreknew... He also predestined, we'll talk about this in a minute, to be conformed to who? The image of his son. So guess what the good is in all things that happen in your life? The good is that you eventually are becoming more and more like whose aim? Like Christ. If you start understanding that everything that comes in your life is there designed to make you look more like Christ, then you're going to have a lot less anxiety and a lot less, fr less frustration in everything. So he says, we know all things work together for good. The good is that you're going to look like Christ. To those who love God and who are called according to his purpose, those people who have given their life to Christ, we gave it and we, fought, we love him because he loved, first loved us. That's talking about us as believers. And why? Because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed uh, to, be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So the purpose is that we become, that's the process of sanctification. We go from where we're at to becoming like his son. And look at, there's some, some encouraging words in here. I don't want to get in theological arguments about the flip side. I want to take it in context of what it's really talking about. He, though, for those he foreknew, he also predestined. Hey, when you put your GPS, how many of y'all ever use GPS? Dude, uh, say, hey, we used GPS uh, trying to get to Debbie's house the other day, and it took us to your neighborhood. What, what, what's the name of your neighborhood? Yeah, dude, it took us there. It took us off, off into a road. It took us past Johnson because there was some wreck or something. We all ended up there, and we were kind of late, but it, it wasn't because of lack of discipline. But <laughs> so, but in that, uh, what, what is a predestination is what you're destined to become, what, where your destination is. And fortunately, it's not like the Bible and Christ and your salvation is not like Waze app. It will not take you in the wrong place. Your predestination. You are destined to become like who? Christ. So no matter what you look like right now, Dina, and I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying no matter what your spiritual walk looks like, if you're a believer, you are in the process of sanctification going to look like Christ. Hopefully it's before glorification. At glorification, you will. But in this process, you're supposed to be. He's setting it up for every one of us to look more and more and more like Christ. So isn't that awesome? You know, when we put a GPS setting in, if we were to put it in for my house right now and all of you left, some you'd have to go home and some you'd have to go to your house there. Some you would like go to the mall first. Then you would come to my house and you would come all these different directions, but you would end up at my house. 
That's that predestination. We're on different paths through Christ again. Don't read any more into this what, than what I'm saying and what Scripture's saying. The fact is, if you're a believer, you're going to look like Christ. Is that not good news? Is that not, Karen, doesn't that just thrill your heart that yes, you are going to become just like Christ one day? That's the process. So again, if we can view everything that we're going through in life as, as for the purpose of making us the good in it, it all has a potential to make us like Christ. He predestined it. That's what your GPS setting is in life. That's, you have no, you're, you're there. You can't mess that up. You mess it up, we'll see he can take you home, all right? But he's gonna, you're going to look like Christ if you're a believer. And this word foreknew, uh, I'm not even preaching on this day. This is just a little extra. Man, what does it know? We're all adults in here, you know, for the most part. But what does it mean in the Bible when they said, and Mary knew no man? She was a what? Virgin. She was a virgin. The Bible, when they use that word know, gnosko, it's, you know, many times it's talking about, you know, somebody having an intimate, it's always talking about intimate relationship. But in Bible sense, oh, he knew her in the Bible sense. That means they had intercourse. Or she didn't. She didn't have that. So the word no is talking about an intimate relationship always, not necessarily physical, because we can have intimate relationships otherwise. But when it says that he foreknew us, he, pre, he, foregno, he, had, he gnoscoed us since before we were ever even in existence, what that means is that he's loved you a lot longer than you've loved him. Do you understand when you go back and look at that word for knowledge? It's more than just he knew you were going to accept Christ one day. And he knew this was going to happen. What it means is, hey, let me ask you a question. What was Jesus' motivation in choosing you? Anybody? What was his motivation? What? He loves, he loves us. So he chose us out of love. And if you're a believer, he chose you. And so before the beginning of time, when he was just God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit... He foreknew you. He, he had an intimate relationship. He was waiting for this intimate relationship with you. He was madly in love with you before you were ever born. Didn't that blow you away? God was madly in love with you. And then at the perfect time, whenever your birth... Hey, JJ, when's your birthday? June 7th, 1991. June 7th, 1991, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I should have asked somebody older. No, but yeah, on that day... He knew that you were going to be born. And how long did he have to wait till you matured enough to be able to be in a relationship with him? When did you give your life to Christ? Um, it was in the end of high school, beginning of college. What year was that? Oh, gosh, 2009. Okay. Oh, yeah, gosh, 2002. You know what I was doing in 2000? Never mind. You didn't want to know. <laughs> uh, yeah. So do you understand, like, in his life, man, God had a love affair with J.J., before J.J. was ever even thought of in his parents' eyes. For, man, back at, he was madly in love, waiting for, for 1991 for J.J. to be born. And it took from 91 to 2009 for J.J. to mature enough spiritually to be able to enter a dating relationship with Christ, if you want to put it in human terms, to marry him, to become his groom, to be in a relationship. So when was it that you... Uh, were mature enough to accept that relationship with Christ. He's been waiting. If you're born again, he's been waiting for how long? Forever. How long has he been waiting? Forever. Forever. He's been in love with you for how long? And he was waiting for you to mature. And when did you mature enough to say, yes, Jesus? Anybody want to share when you did? What year was it for you, Roger? How long ago? What was? 2016. 2016. At what age? 67. Zane, how about you, man? Ten years ago. Ten years ago. Chris, how about you, man? 1977. And I'm going to keep calling it because if you ain't got it, man. No, I'm just joking. But <laughs> how about you, Gary? 1971. Amen. Yeah, you weren't even thought of, man. <laughs> 1971. Man, Tom? <laughs> yeah. So... Here's the idea in the saint. Jesus was in love with you before you were ever even thought of by anyone else. And he was waiting for you to be born, waiting for you to mature, to be old, to, to be mature enough to have that relationship with him. And so if he's been waiting for you that long and he has been in love with you that long, Christine, do you have any doubt, any doubt at all that he's going to get you to your final destination? 
namely even heaven, or even what we're talking about here is becoming like him. Do you think he's going to have a problem getting you there? No. So there's no doubt that's what's going to happen with us. That's that process of sanctification. But how many of you are there already? How many of you are like, Jesus, Lord, Jesus, I'm here. Go ahead and take me. I'm perfect as I'm going to be. Anybody? No. You raise your hand. Do that. You're a liar right now, and you need to still work on that. All right? But so we're not there. It's a process. And another verse I was thinking of with this discipline when I started, uh, I've been studying this, is Proverbs 25, 15. It says this, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Hey, uh, uh, Santa, you've been taking care of Gabe, right? Does that little boy have any foolishness in him? Oh, yeah. Hey, Keone, does Keone have any foolishness? Yeah, you know what this word bound up in the heart of a child means? It means full of foolishness. <laughs> How many of you as children of God right now are still full of foolishness? <laughs> Amen. And so we have foolishness. And what the definition of a fool is in Proverbs is somebody who acts as though there's no God. So anytime we act as though there's no God, we're acting foolish. We're being foolish. Now, anybody, raise your hand if you've been foolish this week. All right, yeah, we've all been there. And so he says foolishness is our natural tendency. It's bound up in our heart. So let me ask you a question. How does God get us on the right path? How do you get Gabe on the right path? What's that? You're like, dude, we're still trying to figure that out. I know Ashley is, right? No. <laughs> but what's the D word that Discipline. we use to get a kid to not do foolish things? Discipline. discipline. And so do you think God has to bring discipline into our lives to get us not to be foolish? Absolutely. I need it many times an hour. <laughs> I need it over and over. But it's not a bad thing. You know, is it God? Do I sit there and fear God that he's like this God with a giant fly swatter? And, and I'm like, going, oh, I'm walking on thin ice with God thinking, oh, I don't want to make this move. He's going to I'm going to mess up and he's going to whack me. Is that the right idea? Why is he whacking me if I need whacking? Because he loves me and he knows that's the only thing that's going to get through. If I don't need a whacking and he can do it some other way, is he going to do it some other way? Absolutely. And we're going to talk about that as soon as I flip this next slide. But the idea is I need discipline. I am a disciple and I have not arrived and I'm not going to arrive. But I want to spend from the time I've been born again to the time he brings me home. I want that time to become more and more and more like him. And the only way that's going to happen is if I not despise, but if I love his discipline, knowing that he disciplines me because he what, Charla? He loves me. He's been in love with me longer than I've ever known he's been in love with me. And that makes me love him more. So foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. But what's this say? The what? Rod of correction will drive it far from him. It's interesting in the Hebrew. When I studied the word rod many years ago, trying to figure out how to discipline this one right here. She was our first one. You were, a, you were a guinea pig, and you were a good guinea pig, man. And I think it worked okay on the last one. But no, I'm just <laughs> foolish. But the word rod, the word rod is anything. Listen to this. In Hebrew, you got to understand Hebrew in the context of it. And the word rod is anything from a twig to a battle club. <laughs> Literally, in the con it, it, that word that's for rod is anything from a twig to a, ba to a battle club. Anybody ever... Uh, like Ashley, in disciplining Ashley, all I had to do was, was a twig, usually. Because if she knew I was disappointed in her, oh my goodness, oh, that just crushed her. And she wanted to, like, do the right thing and please. Matthew would be like, he needed a challenge. You know, Emily, she needed a battle club, believe it or not. I'm just saying at different times. So uh, there's sometimes in my life I need a twig. There's other times I need a battle club. But most of the time, I need something in between. And fortunately, I have a heavenly father that knows what I need to, to be disciplined by so that I can be his disciple. And in, from the time I'm born again to the time he brings me home, I become more and more and more like him. That's our goal. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction drives it from him. And as parents, we have to have the wisdom to know between a twig and a battle club and anything in there. Where do we get that wisdom from, parents? Where's it come from? God. Yeah. So again, um, here's what I want to show you. And, and I want you to take this as we go through Hebrews today. There's, I like to think of there are three phases of discipline. All right. How many of y'all went over a bridge? The, have you been over that bridge this week at all? The big bridge? Uh, how many went over it today? As I was going over today, I was thinking about this. And uh, 
<coughs> Next time you go over it, I want you to think about this. All right, you know how you're in your lane, right? And there's a white line. And then there's some barricades, and then there's a walking lane, and then there's the guardrails, right? Let's just imagine as you were driving on that bridge that all of a sudden everything from the white line water side disappears. Uh, Debbie, how would that have made you feel today? Uh, yeah, you're up on the middle of the bridge, and all of a sudden everything from the white line to water side disappears. All right, let me ask you a question. Uh, did you panic going over the bridge today? No, did you hit the guardrails or that other thing? Oh, good. All right. If you did, I have to get somebody else for an illustration. All right. But, but yeah. How many of y'all hit the guardrails today? Anybody? No. But doesn't it make you feel good to know they're there? And, and they even have, if you're a walker, doesn't it make you feel good to know they have those concrete barricades there between you and the cars? Yeah. You guys walk all the time. How would you feel if those barricades were gone? You wouldn't walk it because you've seen people like me drive and text and talk and whatever. Yeah, dude. And look for dolphins. Oh, there's dolphins. Dolphins, you know. But, but let, seriously, those guardrails, you don't hit them, but they, 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 they give you comfort because you know there's some boundaries there. So check this out. Here's the way God disciplines. One way he disciplines is he simply gives us boundaries. You know, the bridge has guardrails. So you know you're supposed to stay, but, and it even draws lines. So you know you're supposed to stay between the lines. I get bored sometimes and I pretend like my car is like a big white crayon and I'm just coloring. So I stay between the lines, all right? I try not to scribble when I drive, but Linda says I scribble a lot. But, um, but in this, seriously, you go and God gives us boundaries. Where's one place God gives us boundaries? Where do we find his boundaries? Yeah, in his word. Those are no, God just says, hey, here's the rules. You know what? Here, here, I want peace, so here's rules and here's consequences consistently enforced if you obey the rules or if you, or if you violate the rules. So we have rules, and it's simple. Has there been any spanking involved yet? Has there been any yelling involved yet? Has there been any restriction involved yet? Has there been any electric shock treatment involved yet? No, nothing. All it is is, hey, guys, here's what I, here's what I want you to do. And you've got to trust me that this is the best for you. Now, I know in your finite little mind, you think you've got it figured out and there's a better way, but just trust me, I'm infinite. Here's the boundaries I've set for you. That in itself is discipline. He set boundaries. Now, as does our flesh want to follow those boundaries, Dave? You always? You always want to follow those boundaries? <laughs> you, yeah, there's times we don't. Anybody here ever have a hard time with God's boundaries? Yeah. Besides Roger and Ann and, you know, we, we have a hard time sometimes. Our flesh, our spirit's willing, but our flesh is weak, right? And so, so, again, God has to bring things in our life like the IRS to encourage and discourage us. Okay, right? They don't make you do anything, not right away. They just set up things to encourage and discourage certain behaviors and patterns. And so that's what they do. God, God has set up boundaries for us, and it's like guard, guardrails on a bridge. Did you get hurt by the guardrails today? No, dude, because you stayed within them. Now, I dare you try to hit one today and see what happens, all the complications it brings in your life. You know, first of all, you're going to have to go through that cement barricade and do it, right? But you're going to have to then get your car fixed. There's going to be a lot of consequences just like in life. Just like in our life when we violate God's guardrails, there's consequences. He's not putting those consequences in our life to be a killjoy, is he? He's put them in there because he wants us to become like who? Him. And every one of these guardrails that he gives us in his word and he makes real through the Holy Spirit and through other people that in uh, the Holy Spirit as we're, we're doing fellowship and we're living with each other and we're hearing from each other. Man, he's making that real so that we can become more and more like him. So the first set of the first kind of discipline is just God says, hey, here it is. Now I need you to discipline yourself. I need you to discipline yourself to do this. And so disciplining ourselves, um, another word for that would be self-control, right? Um, how many of y'all can control yourself? <laughs> self-control is a fruit of what? The Spirit. So you see, the more that we walk in the Spirit, the more we walk over that bridge, and we're following that bridge, and that bridge is going to lead to what? To us becoming like who? Like Christ, the more we walk in that direction over that bridge, we are walking in the spirit, the more confidence, the more faith, 
the, the more diligence we have, the less is going to stop us as we see the success in all of this and as our faith grows. And so, but it takes us disciplining ourselves to say, I'm going to live by the truth of God today. I'm going to do it God's way. No matter how my guts feel or how my head thinks, no matter what, I'm doing it God's way today. That takes the discipline on our side. We have to make the choice. Think of the uh, armor of God. We were talking about this the other night. Uh, the armor of God. What is the very first piece of armor in the armor of God? Help me out. Let... No, nope, no, nope. before that, he says, gird, gird your loins. Did you, hey, did you gird your loins? Did you gird your loins today? <laughs> nice loins in those shorts, brother. No, but I'm just, yeah. what does it mean to gird your loins? The, uh, the, the Roman soldiers would wear a belt that had a big leather sash on it, and that's where they would hook their sword, hook their tools, they would hook everything up. And, and normally, their tunic or their dress was down around their ankles. How, how would it be fighting a battle? Uh, would you stand up just for a minute? You're, you're like, uh, Joan, please. Yeah, if, if Joan, Joan, like, could you go fight a battle in that dress? How many of y'all like Zane? Would you like to go fight a battle in her dress? Gary, <laughs> you can rock that, buddy. Go to the same but if you had that on in the battlefield, what would you have to do to be more efficient if you couldn't change and put on other clothes? Yeah, not in that dress, you wouldn't. What would you have to do to run? You would have to take the end, stand up one more time, John, one more time. You see that belt she's got? If I was going to have to fight in a dress, not that I think about this a lot, all right, but if I was, I would have to take the corners and I'd tuck it up under my belt. And I would, and if I did that, now the enemy, they would know I'm serious, right? I, I can't fight. I'm not taking you serious fighting like that. So... The Roman soldiers, that's what they would do. They would have to take their dress, their tunic, as they were lounging around, and they would tuck it up under their belt and put their belt on and their sword. And so what they were doing, in essence, was putting their dukes up against the devil. They'd say, um, they put a, the, when they were prepared for battle, they'd be saying, man, I'm ready to fight. Hey, Carl, somebody pulls a knife on you. Do you know if they're going to use it or not? Yeah. Not yet, but you're going to act accordingly. You're going to assume they are. And so when the first thing that he says is we need to gird our loins with the truth. And what that means is that means we wake up in the morning and we say, I am going to live by the truth. That's the discipline I have in my life today. I'm going to live by the truth. We say it. And that's what it means to, to, to gird your loins with the truth. All right. But now how many of y'all made uh, claims like that and then you just lost it right as you walked out the door? Forget your door. Walk out and see your kids in the morning. I'm just saying, well, turn on the TV or look at the next text. We lose it. But so it takes you got to go step further. First, you make the commitment that you're going to live by the truth. But the next thing he says is put on the what? Breastplate. The breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness covered your heart, which is where you make your decisions. And it covered your guts, which is what? Your emotions. Boy, aren't you glad we don't make decisions on emotions, Brenda? Man, aren't you glad that we're way past that? Hey, wait a minute. Anybody here made decisions based on emotions? Yeah. How many of you ever had your heart set on the wrong thing? Ooh. And so the breastplate of righteousness is actually going ahead and, and, and doing what you said you were going to do. You now not only are, are, have, have made the commitment, but when it comes up and your emotions go against what God's word says, you're going with what God's word says. When your heart wants something against what God's word says, you're going with God's word. So you not only make the commitment, but the breastplate of righteousness where you actually do it. And we're not preaching on the whole armor of God today, but that's what we're talking about. You put feet to those actions, which brings us to the next piece of armor. What was the next piece of armor? I think. Is that the next one? The helmet? Or I think it's the feet. But let's just go to the feet. The feet shod with the gospel, with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You know, um, Mike, did you play any sports? What'd you play, man? Oh, you play football, Rod. You play football too, man, right? Yeah. What position were you? Defensive. What'd you play, man? Lineman. Okay, you guys, good, perfect. Defensive end, lineman. Did you guys go out there in, in ballet slippers? Heck no. No. What would happen if y'all went out to go fight that battle in ballet slippers? You'd be sliding all, you'd have no traction. So all the enemy would have to do, as big as you guys were and tough as you were, the enemy would go, and your ballet slippers would slip and boom, and your feet would get hurt too, right? Yeah. But you had no traction. 
And so when he talks about the armor of God, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, he's talking about the cleats the Roman soldiers wore. They wore cleats. They had sandals with spikes in them so that when they're fighting, they had traction. They couldn't easily be pushed back. They could fight forward. They didn't have to slide back. And what he's saying for us is that if we know we are saved, we know what's at the end of that bridge. At the end of the bridge, my predestination is I'm going to be like who? If you know that is, and you can stand firm. There's no wishy-washiness about it. Well, maybe I'm saved. Maybe I'm not. Maybe it's going to work out. No, dude, you know what's at the end of that bridge. You know what your predestination is. You're going to be like Christ, and you can stand firm because we're only here a short period of time. You know this is going to be over before you know an eternity is going to be here. And how long are you going to be in eternity? Forever. Forever. Yeah. So you can stand firm. And again, we're not talking about that. I have not even got into the message. we got to go here. But I do believe this is of the Holy Spirit, guys. I'm not just rambling, I promise. But So we've got God just gives us this bridge with guardrails. He says, just obey. Just, dude, I love you. I've loved you for longer than you've ever known anything. I love you more than Buddy the Elf loves Christmas. You know what he's saying? I love him. I love him. I don't care who knows, right? But uh, it's all coming. You're going to be watching this. But, dude, just follow me. I love you. And this is the way to go. Stay on the road. Because what happens is we're headed towards being more like Christ. Does anybody ever stop? Anybody here ever stop? Anybody ever walk backwards? Yeah. And then what do we have to do? What's that R word to come back to him? Repent. Repent means a turn. And we come back towards him again. He said, just stay diligent. Stay on that path. Be disciplined to not turn. Be disciplined to keep continuing in this process called sanctification. So he's given us a bridge with guardrails, a relatively painless thing physically. But mentally, it's awful hard when God has things change, isn't it, Karen? Yeah. It's hard on us when things change. It's not going the way we want them to go. we got to really trust God. But you know, sometimes if the bridge with guardrails doesn't necessarily work, you know what God does? He has a bridge with barricades. How many of you have ever been driving through a big city where they're always working on the roads, construction, and you know, you're just happily going 80, 90, which is the new 60, right? You guys know that? Dude, my vehicle's an 01. It was not meant to go 80 or 90, but I have to when I'm on the interstate with those people. And here you are, you're driving, and you're like in a like big lane to travel. You know, there's four lanes, and all of a sudden there's construction, and they funnel you into one lane. Man, Debbie, I'm thinking of Atlanta. Man, Atlanta is a mess, and Ocala used to be on, nine, on 75 where you're flying, all of a sudden, one lane of traffic. Have you ever been there? And all of a sudden, you have those concrete barriers, and they feel like they're like six inches from your face. You know what I'm talking about? You're doing seven. You're following traffic. You can't really slow down, and you can't really relax because, man, you've got these concrete barriers on both sides of you. Anybody ever been there? Yeah. Well, sometimes, if we don't listen to the bridges with the guardrails, sometimes God's got to give us barricades. He's got to kind of narrow our path. He's got to sometimes take away some of our choices. Sometimes he's got to be more specific in what he wants us to do. Sometimes he's got to put a barricade in front of us to make a stop. And, you know, that's what happened with, with Waze the other day uh, when we were at, what was your community again? Yeah, we're in your community. I'm driving saying, I don't think this is where Debbie lives. And Waves is like, nope, you got to stop right here. you got to turn around. And that's what God does in our life. But so if you don't listen to the, the guardrails on the bridge, sometimes God has to put things a little more scary, a little more painful in your life to get you to change direction. Let me ask you a question. Has anybody ever had God change your direction with something painful to bring you closer to him? Yeah, it happens. Is he doing it because he's ticked at you? Is he doing it because he's mad at you? Is he doing it to just, you listen to me next time? Is that why he's doing it? No, he's doing it to try to get us to go in the right direction. Because he, what, Charlotte? He, he loves us. He knows there's nothing but heartache, nothing but pain, nothing but lost ground going the wrong direction. He wants us to become more and more and more like Christ with everything that goes on in our life. So he starts off with bridges with guardrails. Then he goes to bridges with barricades. And, and if we don't listen, you know what happened? We've seen it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. You know what God does if he's told people his will? 
He said, hey, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to do. And if your heart's still set on something else, and you're like, have you ever prayed trying to twist God's heart? Trying to, trying to like, have you ever tried to like change God's mind in your prayers? But God, have you ever tried to explain why it'd be better for him to do it your way? No, you guys don't do that. I'm the only one. Man. So here's what God does sometimes. Sometimes when I don't listen to the guardrails, but my heart's set on something else, and he puts barricades to kind of make it real specific where I'm supposed to go and what I'm going to do, and I don't listen, and I don't listen, and I don't listen. You know what he does? He gives me what I want. He answers my prayer, but I'm not praying his prayer. That's the scariest place in the world. That's where you're on the bridge, and all of a sudden, everything on the water side of the white line goes away. God says, I've told you, I've told you, I've told you, and you're not getting it, you're not listening. The only way you're going to listen is by experiencing some consequences. So I'm just going to let you have what you want. What happened when the children of Israel, they got tired of manna? Dude, you understand manna was Krispy Kreme, Dixie Kreme donuts in little balls that didn't make you fat and it nourished you? <laughs> Can you believe that? Little donut balls there, right? Pauline, little donut balls that nourished them. Yeah, because they were organic. They were totally organic. Yeah. They were from God. Dude, they, it says they were sweet. It was like honey. It was awesome. They weren't, look, they weren't gross. It wasn't like grits with no butter, man. It was just, man, it was like good. And it was nutritious. And they didn't get fat. They were healthy. Man, everything was awesome. But they got tired of eating. They got tired of what God provided. And what they start crying for? I want some meat. I want some meat. Now, I could see me there because I'm a meatitarian, all right? And uh, I could see that. I'm a hardcore carnivore. And they wanted meat. And God said, no, dude, not yet, not yet. You're going to have everything you need when you get to the promised land. Just go, go, go. You can be there soon. Just go. They're like, no, we want meat. We want meat. Like we had. We had pots of meat in Egypt. Did they really have pots of meat in Egypt, Carl? No. No, their imagination got pretty big right there, how great it was in Egypt. Like ours does sometimes. How great it would be if we didn't have to follow God's ways. They're like, we want meat, man. And so what did God do? Do you remember? He sent them some quail. But, but how much quail did he send them? <laughs> he sent them a bunch. And what happened, Zane? While it was still in their mouth, judgment came. But they ate so much quail. Do you think they ever had a desire to eat quail again? No. He answered their prayer. And that's what I see sometimes, Christians. I'm telling them, dude, this is God's, this is God. You see it. You've answered me. You see God's principles. This is what God's directing life. I'm not your Holy Spirit, but here it is. You've seen it, you see it, but I know your heart's set on something else. And I watch him and I watch him and I watch him and and then, well, see, God answered my prayer. And I'm thinking, mm, I don't know if he answered your prayer or if he just got tired of telling you what his was. And you know how I know that? Because that's what he's done in my life. I want to pray what God wants. I want to want what God wants. I want to become more like Christ in this. And the scariest place to be in all three of those is what? A bridge without guardrails. That's way scarier than a bridge with barricades and a bridge with guardrails. What's the best one? The bridge with guardrails, dude. Yeah, just stay off them and you're all good. Think about that as you're going over the bridge today. Literally, look at the white line. And think about, in the passenger side especially, look at the white line and just think if that everything to the water side of the white line disappeared, what it would be like? That would be crazy. It would make your life different. And that's what it's like when we don't listen and God just says, okay, here's what you, you want what you want? Go ahead. Because what happens if there, what happens if there are no guardrails? First of all, what would you say, Debbie, when, if, if all of a sudden they disappeared, how would your, how would your ride be? Yeah, it wouldn't be a pleasant ride. It'd be a panicking ride. Oh my! And, and you'd either, if you were like me, you would speed up and I'd do like 80 to get over it in a hurry. How many of y'all would just slow down and putz? So, Santa, you're a putzer. You would probably, I bet. Now, I, I, who, who, would, who would slow down and just like crawl over that bridge? And like, oh, you know, yeah. No, that's true. I have seen you leave small group before in the truck, burning rubber. Yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> but. In this, that's what I'm saying is it would be an uncomfortable, panicky ride. But how many of y'all are thinking, dude, it might not be kind of bad jumping over the side of that bridge. How many of y'all are adrenaline junkies? And you at least entertain the thought. And if you did go over the side of the bridge, would it immediately hurt? 
No, dude, Steve, how many of y'all think it would actually be kind of cool as you're going over the bridge? How many of y'all think it'd be kind of cool, you know, while you're in the air, to be in the air with a car? Let's say there's no consequences at the end. You got a parachute or something. How many of y'all think it'd be kind of cool? Yeah, dude. But the problem comes when you what? And that's the problem with sin. Sin doesn't bring consequences usually immediately. There's pleasure in sin for a season. And it's good. And we're there until what happens? Until we land. So the scariest part is really a bridge with no guardrails. And that's how God disciplines us. So I want you to be thinking about where you're at today. In situations in your life, where are you? Does God have guardrails? And right now you're just striving to live within the guardrails? Or is God tightening things up a little bit on you? In some areas, tighten it up, giving you some more direction. Pray for maybe those barricades if you don't know. Get them to tighten it up so you can know where you're supposed to go and what you're supposed to be doing. So you're at least going in the right direction. Or are you in just a situation now where it's like, you know what? If I hear from God, I hear from God. If I don't, I don't. And you realize today maybe you're in that dangerous position in a bridge without guardrails. That's a tough place to be. So super quick, look at this. In Hebrews chapter. Ashley, we should have started earlier. No, I'm just joking. This, it, it's only like 11 minus 3. What's that, like 8 verses, something like that? Uh, my math's bad. But they, um, this is God's heart and discipline. So I already told you how he disciplines. I want you to know he's not this ogre. His heart and discipline is to make you more like Christ. He's disciplining you because he loves you. And this is what the author's telling the folks in the book of Hebrews. Don't quit. This stuff that's going on in your life is tough, but don't quit because God is trying to make you more like Christ in it. So he says, think of all the hostility Jesus endured from sinful people. Then you won't be weary and give up. So think of think of what Jesus went through. He went through it so you could have salvation. He went through it to prove to us that it could be done. He went through it to, to, to be our perfect sacrificial lamb. He went through it for a number of reasons, mainly to take away our sins. And, but to also in this passage to show us that it can be done. And so he says, man, think about what Jesus endured so you don't grow weary and give up. Because giving up, now, dude, if you're going to get to the other side and you're already at the top and you walk back downhill, what do you got to do to get back to where you were? Dude, walk all the way back. And you know if you're a believer, perseverance of the saints, you're going to do it, right, Seth? You're going to do it. You can't quit if you're a believer. So he said about Jesus, after all, you've not yet given your lives in a struggle against sin. Dude, you have, I like that word, yet. Do you get that? <laughs> after all, you have not, what? Yeah. Yet. It doesn't mean it's not a possibility, because for the Hebrews, we know some of them already did give their lives for the gospel. But the ones listening obviously haven't yet. All right? But it does mean it's a possibility. After all, you've not given, yet given your lives in a struggle against sin like Christ did. So look to his example. He's, he's a better example than Moses and than, Aaron, than all of the ones we studied in chapter 11. He said, look to him. And have you forgotten the encouraging words? Hey, what does the word encourage mean? Chrissy, if I'm encouraging you, what am I putting in you? Encourage. Courage, yes. You're a sharp one. I got that. No, I'm messing. I caught you sleep, but not even sure I sleep in, but... But literally, encourage means to put courage in someone. So he said, there's verses in Scripture that have put courage in you to keep going. And have you forgotten the encouraging words? God spoke to you as his what? Children. He said, he's, he said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. In other words, get all hurt and go sulk in the corner because you weren't perfect. How many of y'all know you're not perfect now? Yeah. So if he corrects you, man, isn't that awesome? Can you imagine being blindfolded just for a minute? And here you are walking. And in front of you is a 10-foot pile of elephant poo. I just want you to remember this. A 10-foot pile of elephant that's a big elephant. And you're walking and you're blindfolded for some reason you can't see. Would you not want someone to tell you that there's a 10-foot pile of elephant poo? Or are you so proud that you want to find out for yourself? And you're like, oh, that's a 10-foot pile of elephant poo. Now clean me up, God. Seriously, isn't that what happens with us with sin? And somebody tries to warn us. Somebody tries to give us a heads up. People try to counsel us. And, and we're like, no, I got it. I, I got it. You got it, all right. <laughs> now you got to get rid of it. And so he says, man, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't give up when he corrects you. He's not trying to beat you down. He's setting you up to succeed. 
And he goes on and says, For the Lord disciplines those he And he punishes. And this word punish isn't even politically correct anymore because we've redefined it. But it doesn't mean that it's a wrong word. What it simply means is that this word means that you give consequences. Sometimes I need barricades in front of me. I don't just listen to words. I need consequences that I'm going to experience if I'm going to change my behavior. Until the pain to change is less than the pain to stay the same, I'm going to stay the same. So I need what this word punishment means. And today we don't even use the word punishment because we have sick individuals that are so far from God that have abused and taken punishment to levels we can't even imagine that we're not even described here in the Bible. But it simply means that sometimes God has to put consequences in front of us to get us to change, to make it easier for us to change and to stay the same. So he says, man, the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. How many of y'all have been in the grocery store? You know, when you had kids, you know, you had kids and you remember there and, you, and you're in the grocery store and there's some kids acting like animals in front of you. Anybody ever been there? I mean, kids ripping through candy bars, cussing, yelling at them, whatever, man, being disrespectful. You ever seen that, Christy? And you're trying to get... Oh, it was your kids we saw? No, <laughs> but, all right, so let's just say it's Christy's kids, man. And, and we're back here with our perfect children, right? You know? But you see, you know what I'm talking about? Do you have the responsibility or right to go correct those kids? No, you have the responsibility or right to correct who? Your kids. So you know what? That's what he's saying. If God's correcting you, that means you're what? You're his kid. He ain't going to go spank other people's kids. Now, he will with wrath in the tribulation period, and there's consequences to sin. But if you get spankings from God, it's because he loves you. How many of y'all have parents say, this is going to hurt me way more than it hurts you? Ashley, do you finally understand that? When you were a little kid getting a spanking, you thought we were so full of it, didn't you? I'm like, oh, I can't. Now you understand, right? You do it out of love because it's the last, man, whatever it is you're correcting with, you're thinking this is what it's going to take to get them to do what's right. And so he says, man, be encouraged. If you're getting a spanking from God, no, it's because you're his child and you ain't going to get any spankings in heaven. Amen. Because <laughs> we aren't going to do anything wrong. Verse seven, as you endure this divine discipline. And by the way, uh, what would you rather have divine discipline or human discipline? Because divine discipline is going to be perfect. Whatever it is God's throwing in your path to correct your behavior, there could not be a better discipline because he's perfect, right? So as you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Now listen to this. If you want to see how far our society is away from God, there's places if I were to read this scripture out loud, it would be considered very, very, very politically incorrect. But since we believe the Bible, I'm reading it. But you compare this to our society, these next few verses. Listen to what it says. Uh, teachers, teachers. How many of y'all are teachers? How many of y'all y'all in class been teachers? I, I want you to, this is what he's saying because this was unheard of in their day. And they're like, who ever heard of a child who's never disciplined by their father? And you ever heard of a child, a child that's never been disciplined by their father? In our society, it's the, it's the norm, not the exception now. It's crazy. But in this time, it was like, hey guys, this is a rhetorical question. Who ever heard of this? Nobody's ever heard of a child who's not been disciplined by the father. Because, man, you need the father to discipline the children. It's what happens to have a successful society. So can you imagine what a society's like where that doesn't happen? You're living in it right now. Who ever heard of a child who's never been disciplined by his father? What a ridiculous thing. If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you're what? You're not his kid. And you're not really his child at all. That's what he's saying. If he doesn't discipline you, you're not his kid. Because if you're his kid, he wants you to represent him. And he's going to put everything in your path. Again, discipline doesn't mean a spanking. Discipline can mean positive instructions can mean guardrails on a bridge, could mean a little tighter barricades, and it could mean, you know what, you're just so hard-headed, you're going to have to learn from the consequences. But he said, man, if he doesn't discipline, you're not his kid. 
since we respect, oh my goodness, listen to this one. I'm only preaching it because it's the truth, not because I see it in our society. Since we respect our earthly fathers. Okay, and I'm not going to go into why all that, you know, yes, their father's not worth respecting. People respected a position. That's what's taught biblically. Whether you expect the person, you respect a position. But we live in a day where anarchy, everything goes like Israel had when everybody did what was right in their own eyes. When God has some absolutes and we just trust him to make it work out. He said, since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us. <laughs> wow, there's a lot of people can't identify with that, even of our generation right here. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? In other words, he's saying, man, you remember, you know, we listen to dads who are temporal and, and they just try to get us to correct a little bit. Shouldn't we much more listen to a heavenly father? Well, whether you see the earthly example he's trying to use and see how irrelevant it might be today, I want you to get the point that you have a heavenly father who loves you more than anyone. And he perfectly disciplines us. If you need a spanking, you need a spanking. If all you need is bridge guardrails on a bridge, then go through the guardrails on the bridge. If you need barricades, get the barricades. But bottom line is God will do whatever it takes for his children to behave. And he brought you into this world and he can take you out. And I've watched him do that with people who are professing believers that wouldn't listen to discipline. So he goes on. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how. They weren't perfect, but God's discipline is always good for us. Hey, when is God's discipline good for us? What is, yeah, it's always. <laughs> I want you to remember that when you're getting a spanking from him. <laughs> I want you to remember that when he gives you direction that's against your emotions or against your head or against your heart. When it doesn't make sense, man, we got to remember his discipline is always good. His correction to change our direction and keep it going in the right direction is always good. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. And there it is. The goal of everything in our life is to make us more like who? Like Christ. Last verse. No discipline is... Yeah, if you enjoy discipline, you're just sick, all right? I'm just saying. <laughs> There's names for you, all right? But we're not going there today. But I'm just saying... No discipline is good. It's, in, it's not enjoyable. What might be enjoyable is you know you knowing that it's going to make you better. But, dude, if you like spankings, there's something wrong with you, all right? I'm just saying. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's what? Man, think about this. Think about driftwood, man. You know, how many of you, if you had a big, beautiful, gorgeous piece of driftwood, would display it somewhere? I mean, have you ever seen, you know, maybe that's not your, your style or whatever, but man, would you, if you had a choice of displaying a beautiful piece of driftwood or a piece of two by four, which would you display, Zane? <laughs> Put a big piece of two by four on the mantle. Yeah, look at that piece of wood. That's awesome. No, driftwood's pretty, but how did driftwood become driftwood? The wind and the water and the waves have tried to destroy it, but instead of destroying it, it made it what? what? More beautiful. That's what the discipline, we think sometimes what God's allowing in our lives is there to destroy us. We don't understand his heart. His heart is to make us like a piece of driftwood so that when we walk around in the world, we don't just look like a nominal two by four walking around. Oh, do you see where somebody's suing Home Depot or somebody? Because two by fours aren't two inches by four inches. <laughs> Any of you in construction know that's like, that's where we're at. It just... That isn't right. Well, you decided it. All right. So it's only been that way since people have been building houses. But, but anyways, so you don't look like a nominal two by four walking around. He's brought things in your life to make you more beautiful. And make you more beautiful is to make you more like Christ. That's why everything. So don't give up. Don't quit. Realize, hey, you go work out at the gym. You know, you're sweating and you're grunting and the next day you're straining to even walk around, Zane. You know, the Zane, here's Zane, dude. It looks like Fred Sanford, right? Walking around the house. Yeah, but it's making you stronger, making you better. Chris, you go back out and surf again. Your arms are going to feel like noodles, man, but it's going to make you better. It's not, it's, it's painful when it's happening. But he says, look what the, but afterwards, 
Afterwards, there will be a what? A peaceful harvest. Wouldn't that be good if you wake up and the crop you got right before you today is peace? That has nothing to do with your circumstances? That's how he says have it. You can have a peaceful harvest by understanding the purpose of the discipline God brings in your life and getting out of it what you're supposed to get out of it. A peaceful harvest. And what? A peaceful harvest of, how do you get the peaceful harvest? By doing what? Having right living. Who gets to determine what's right? Yeah, not you. Not society. Not the majority. God determines it. He said, so man, so if you, uh, and if you take this discipline for what it's for, you'll, have, you'll be living right and you will have a peaceful harvest. And he says, that's the result of those who are trained in this way. You want any other kind of training? You got any other kind of personal trainer other than God? You get whatever harvest you get out of that. But he's telling us this is how we have a peaceful harvest. Peace that has nothing to do with our circumstances. Internal peace no one can take away. And it's because we're looking more and more like who? Like Christ. So again, disciples need what? Thank you, sir. May I have another? No, it's like, <laughs> literally, I grew up with discipline, man, in school, if you can imagine. I, I grew up when they had capital punishment. No, what was it called? <laughs> Corporal punishment. Yeah, dude, I got capital punishment. Yeah. I, I'm not bragging on this, but I want you to know where I'm coming from, man. First grade, Maura Swisher, who's my Facebook friend. She might be listening, but... I don't think so, but she, man, first she colored, she turned around and colored on my paper. So I proceeded to color with the crayon all over her clothes and face until she got the point. This is first grade. This is where I was. And I got in trouble for it. She started it. And back when I went to Catholic school, they had two buildings and a courtyard in the middle where they could perform this corporal capital punishment. And the principal, I'm not lying, dude. The dude had a paddle this big. Well, I was this big, so it was probably like this big. It had holes drilled in it. And literally, when he swung it, you could hear the wind whistling through it. We would all be in there knowing, oh, someone's getting a paddling. And we'd hear, pow! Man, everybody would cringe, you know, in that first grade. He said, grab your ankle, son. <laughs> I, I'm just doing it. I didn't know why. As soon as I grabbed my ankle, bam! You know what? I never colored on another person again. <laughs> I didn't say I did anything else, but in fifth grade, my, my, my teacher, Wendell Warrington, I know his name by heart, Mr. Warrington wrote something for me. This is what he wrote for me, and over the period of fifth grade, I had to write it over 3,000 times because the I, 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 will, 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 no, 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 that wasn't it. This is what he wrote for me. So if you can understand that I know what I'm talking about in this. He said, it behooves me to pay attention during class because by being rude and obnoxious, my fellow students and I are unable to concentrate to the fullest extent of our abilities. 5,000 or 3,000 times in fifth grade, he wrote it specifically for me, and I understand they kept it going. I was a trendsetter. <laughs> but, but I'm telling you, man, I know about this discipline stuff, and there's an easier way, but now that I'm a believer, man, I don't want to have to grab my ankles and hear the wind of God's wrath going, shh, pow. Instead, I want to just know what the guardrails are and go. I want to follow. I want to be more and more like Christ. He only breaks out the big stuff when we don't listen, you know. But the goal is to make us more like Christ. So we need discipline, which means we've got to discipline ourselves Man doesn't live by bread, by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We discipline ourselves to feed off his word. We discipline our hearts and our emotions and our minds to live off the word of God. We discipline ourselves to spend time in prayer, alone, on our knees, with him. Quiet time where we can just hear from. We discipline ourselves and make time for him so that we know what he wants us to do. So that we become more and more like Christ because that's the harvest of peace that we want. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, talking to us about discipline today. I pray that we would be disciplined people so that we would need less and less discipline uh, as we sometimes think of it.
Father, I pray that we'd never forget that the whole purpose is that we become more and more like Christ. And um, that's an awesome thing that we can't even imagine what that's going to be like to be like Christ, to be perfect in heaven one day. But you're giving us opportunities every day to become more and more like you. I pray we would realize how awesome that is and we would take advantage of that. Father, we need discipline. I pray that we would be a disciplined people. And, um, and again, um, whatever you bring in our lives, I pray that we would see the good that's in it is that it's going to make us more beautiful. It's going to make us more like you. And that's going to bring a peaceful harvest in our life. In this world that is so full of chaos, this world that is so full of hate, this world that's so full of unrighteousness, Father, I just can't even imagine what it would be like if we would become more like you, if we could bring righteousness to this world, if we could experience this peace. Father, I pray that there's somebody here that's never given their life to Christ, that they would you would give them a desire they can't refuse to surrender everything they know about themselves, everything they know about you. And um, Father, at that time, that they could start this walk over this bridge, becoming more and more like you. Father, we so look forward to glorification in heaven, but we know we're in this process called sanctification. So we just want to thank you for salvation. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.